What's going on, man fam? It's Richard. Do you find yourself looking at all the bourbon on the store shelves but don't know where to start or the differences? Do you enjoy bourbon but want to know more about the science, history, and the stories behind the label? Did you know that bourbon is a distinctive product in the United States? It can't be produced anywhere else in the world. And no, not all bourbon has to be made in Kentucky. I learned all of this listening to Bourbon Pursuit. If you think you like bourbon, get ready to love bourbon. Bourbon Pursuit is the official podcast of bourbon. The best source for all bourbon news, reviews, and interviews with people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen. There's three new episodes every week. You can learn the great next bourbon trends, the great bottles, the personalities behind your favorite brands, get all the juicy scoop on all things whiskey. Past guests have included CEOs, master distillers, and brand ambassadors from every major distillery, authors, bloggers, industry influencers, retailers, celebrities, and unique customers who hunt rare bourbons. Take your knowledge from being a bourbon novice to a bourbon baron. Wherever the good stuff is poured, Bourbon Pursuit is just a play button away. Join your host, Kenny Coleman, Ryan Cecil, and Fred Minnick on an epic bourbon adventure. Subscribe and follow Bourbon Pursuit wherever you get your podcast. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. King that shall be. If we should fail, we fail. Didst thou not hear noise? You sound insane. You realize that? The whole world got crazy! Showtime. Welcome back in, man fam. Mad About Movies podcast. This is a Kent hosted episode. Apologies in advance for that. But we're in luck because we got two experts here. Way more experts on this type of movie than I am. I got a lot of questions, trust me. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. It's a tragedy of Macbeth. We're rounding out the year of 2021 cinema. And uh, nearing towards our, our lists. I think we've got maybe one more movie to do and then we're done. Is that the this case? This is probably our last full episode of 2021 movies. Like, we'll probably do like Power of the Dog and some of these other like really Oscar y kind of movies. But yeah. I imagine, uh, y'all correct me if I'm wrong, I imagine those will be like bonus episode 20. Yeah, I, I, I figured we would do those uh, for the for the VIPs. Yeah, Speaking yeah, of yeah. Madaboutmoviespodcast.com yeah. slash VIP. We're doing a State of the Union episode as well this week mm. on the main feed here, which we'll talk about some things coming to the VIP feed. And you're going to want to sign up this year. This is going to be yeah. the year, the VIPs. That's right. If uh, every year hasn't been already, which they have. It's been lit. 2021, the highlight of my year was was the VIP community. <laughs> so that is uh, something to look forward to. But we're rounding out the year, nearing our lists. So I've got a f- lots to still watch, though, man. <laughs> I'm looking yeah. at my like home list. I'm still like, yeah. God, I got to average four movies a day f- to get all the ones I want to <laughs> get in or haven't seen or yeah. that I probably should see or I'll feel bad for saying I didn't see, that kind of thing. So. I'm doing pretty good. I've only got like, I've only got three more that I definitely will see before we're done. And then, you know, there's maybe 10 or 12 others. It's like, yeah, if I have time, but I don't know how anyone 
uh, can get a list done by January 1st. It's just, it's, it's kind of impossible. Right. Well, we're trying to delay this also for the listener because these movies are going to be topics of conversation right. uh, into the new year as the uh, all of the award season type stuff wraps up. So we're wrapping our yearly conversation up. Then we'll get to some movie draft, State of the Union, that kind of thing. We'll wrap up the year and then we'll move straight into 2022 um, and it'll be fun. So. Strap in and uh, sign up for madaboutmoviespodcast.com slash VIP if you want everything that we're going to put out this year. Because I would say we'll probably put put out two episodes for every one episode on the main feed. Uh, we'll probably average it out like that or something like that. It'll be, probably be the average. So look forward to that. And this episode is a Coen Brothers episode or a Cohen episode, So mm-hmm. which is why I'm hosting this one. I'm the Cohen, I guess, aficionado of the show. I know both of you gentlemen love the Coens. But I would uh, say that I probably have them higher on my all-time movies lists, averaging out their filmography than you fellas would. Maybe that's a good teaser for a future episode of Favorite Directors that we Mm. could possibly do. So we'll see where they rank on my Favorite Directors list. But they're certainly high uh, when it comes to Fargo, which uh, was my number one on our list of top ten movies, right, ever. So. I consider myself the the Cohen dude and also Francis. Love so Francis. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> and I love me some Francis. And uh, so the Francis McDormand factor here, I think, works in my favor as well. And But I, I'm leaning on you guys heavily for this because we do have an English major in the house. Same as Richard Barden. He's the bard. I was wondering why we don't call you the bard because of that. <laughs> I don't write much other than that though. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, the bard, the, <laughs> I was born in Scottsdale upon Avon, you know, <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> right around the corner from <laughs> yeah, Sir William. <laughs> basically, basically the same to- topographical feel uh, Scottsdale in the eighties and, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, England in the 1400s yeah. or whatever. Same yeah. amount of cocaine too. So, Oh that's yeah. Good. Well, a little more. <laughs> yes. When I was young. He was very young. When I was two and three years old. Mm-hmm. But we didn't know better back the then. It's okay. We didn't know. It's the 80s, man. Um, <laughs> well, fun, you know? It's like, gosh. I Yeah, no, I, I read a lot of this stuff in college. A lot. Of, I love uh-huh. Shakespeare, so I'm, I'm excited to talk about. Macbeth is uh, it's a it's a tr- I have a tricky relationship with it, so I'm excited to get into that more later. Yeah, absolutely. If I remember correctly, Richard, I remember the one with Michael Fassbender that came out a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I remember us talking about that one, you being really excited for that one, and, and yeah. I think you said early on in the infancy of the podcast, like, man, Macbeth, that's the very great best story. If they ever do a Macbeth movie properly, I think that could be. The best one, uh, yeah, that kind of. Am, am I am I wrong there? Am I remembering it wrong? Well, I mean, of the of the big uh, tragedies <clears throat> or whatever those, I, mean, if you, I would consider you know Othello, Hamlet, Macbeth, and King Lear to be the big the big boys there. And I, I, I would I actually have Macbeth as my least favorite, but only because I've seen versions of the other ones that were all great. I've never seen a truly great Macbeth, so. Written wise, it's very good. It's an awesome. I think Brian's a big Macbeth guy. Um, I tend to be more in the like the Hamlet or the Othello or camp. But um, but yeah, it's an awesome, 
obviously I mean Shakespeare. But uh, yeah, I was very excited for this version of it and, and was excited for the Fassbender one. You're all right. I was excited for that um, just because I've, I've never – till that point, I've never really seen it done well. I've seen a lot of bad Macbeths in my day and uh, I don't know why that is. Or Scottish plays. Maybe they maybe they said the name out loud and got cursed or something. But uh, yeah. One time I saw one and it was like uh, Elvis themed. <laughs> Ah, oh, it's in Denton, Texas, and it fit the theater. Oh it man, I'm sorry, it was in a movie. Theater. I wanted to see this movie, <laughs> and uh, they kind of did Macbeth, but in like Greece attire, and it was mm. it was uh, it was a real. It, they really went for it. Sounds like something <laughs> Brian would love. Yeah, yeah. That's right up my alley yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah. They did all the Greece numbers, but they changed the lyrics to Old English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was wonderful. Banquo is the the Danny Zuko of of this period. Yep. So, so saith your back tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> What's your relationship with Shakespeare material, Brian? Are you a Shakespeare fan? Like when you see a Shakespeare movie mm-hmm. pop up that comes out, are you dreading it? Excited for it? What's your thoughts there? Uh, I love Shakespeare. Um, I, I've, I, I'm pretty sure I've said this on the show before, but I think it is, it is a great tragedy. Um, I wasn't, I'm not an English major, but I, I, I come from a, a literary household. I love reading and writing and loved English classes most of the time. I think it is a great, uh, I almost said tragedy. That would be, in a, it's, it's, it's great foolishness, um, to teach Shakespeare to 14 and 15 year olds, um, by just immediately going to Romeo and Juliet. And that just seems to be the move <laughs> for English teachers. It's like, Oh, we're doing Shakespeare. You're the most related Julius to Caesar. Yeah. yeah, we're gonna introduce you to Shakespeare through um, this like this. I mean, I think Romeo and Juliet's like one of the worst of Shakespeare's like bigger plays and stuff. And so it's just a very obnoxious way to to get across how great. Well, have you seen uh, the Boz Lerman version, so, Brian? You yeah, that. yeah, and that was God, that's what how the teachers really that hip puts it, it in a whole new <laughs> yeah, context. Yeah. That's that, what they did we, for us, we, Richard and Ari. Yeah, yeah, they're like, oh every yeah, ever. yeah, you guys. Yeah. You guys thought this was lame. Wait till you see this Boz Lerman version. Well, he like, pulls oh, the gun out. Even lamer now. John the, Liguizamo. Yeah. Wow. The like, gun's oh, okay, brand cool. is sword. So <laughs> yeah, wrap yeah. your mind around that. When he says, yeah, draw your swords, a, it's a gun. Man, so That was a brutal time to be in high school. Uh, like right at, because what did that come out? Like 95, 96. Yeah. So yeah. So th- that was always the move for the English teacher was like, if you guys. Wasn't that his first one after good. Titanic? You know, if you, if you pay attention. Before Titanic. You, Right. Was it? Yeah, we're yeah. He yeah, got Titanic on that. Well, oh, I was man. for that because yeah. Paul Rudd was talking to him through it because Paul Rudd's dad is like was at the time like the leading American Titanic scholar. I, actually, Paul Rudd's dad is British, but they were in America because his dad was such a Titanic <laughs> scholar. And uh, there's a great Paul Rudd story where he's just like picking Leo's brain, like you're gonna do that, and throwing all this Titanic nerd stuff at him. Leo's just like, yeah, I think it's just gonna be a huge movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really, just really, I don't smart. really care about the history of it. Yeah, it's uh, it is what it is. That's yeah. crazy. No, yeah, but like I, I find I had a teacher, tenth uh, grade, an English teacher who was great. I think her name was Miss Barrow. She was really good, and um, she really did a great job of kind of like you can get English. Like I, my junior year English teacher was somebody who was so obsessed with Shakespeare that it was like creepy. You know, um, she. she but tenth grade, Miss Barrow, she had a really great mind for like how to 
how to modernize it without being, uh, without pandering, I guess. And just like trying to like get across how great some of this stuff is and, and how you can, uh, you can grasp what through the context, like of, of the, of the text, like what's happening, even if you don't necessarily understand word for word, what's, ha- what's going on stuff like that. So anyway, I love Macbeth. I love Hamlet. I love Julius Caesar, um, King Lear, all, all of those I think are, I mean, it's Shakespeare. So it's not like I'm, I'm, uh, you know, shedding light on <laughs> some great unknown indie artist or anything like that. But like Shakespeare's great. And there's a reason why he's Shakespeare. And, uh, and so anyway, I love it. Macbeth is probably my favorite of, of the bunch, but it's, it's all very tight. I, I think Hamlet's great. I think Julius Caesar's great. Um, uh, I think King Lear's great. Uh, I, I think Midsummer's Night is great. Anyway, um, yeah. this is probably though my favorite, but I haven't, I haven't read any of those plays in, you know, 20 years at this point. Um, I, w- I would guess I have a copy of this one and a copy of Macbeth somewhere on my shelves, but, um, I haven't picked them up in a really long time. So, but I was very excited to see. I was excited about that, that Fastbender one that it turned out to be pretty good, but not great. Yeah. Um, but I was very excited about this because it's it's Cohen's and it's Denzel and it's Macbeth and it just the whole thing seemed like that really has a great chance to be very yeah. up my alley. I was so interested to see, you know, what parts of it would be Shakespearean and which parts would be Cohen's, right? Because um, it was, you know, they changed the title. Mm-hmm. There was something kind of like very inspired by us, and I was surprised at how kind of it's it's shortened, um, yeah. but it's very faithful, mm-hmm. which was yeah. surprising. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I went back and looked through like the Wikipedia today just to like remember, mm-hmm. okay, is there, is That's there something how the major that I forgot? wanted you to read it, by <laughs> exactly. the way? He, yes. He, yes. he prophesied that. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I read it, was the close yeah. notes for yeah. sure. I, I, I certainly like my relationship with William Shakespeare is I'm just not a great reader. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm just not good with reading numbers, that kind of thing. So, it's really hard for me to to fully grasp it. Like I'm the one, I'm the type of person that does need a teacher to explain sure. the language to me. So it is very foreign to me, but I I certainly appreciate it. I remember my grandpa had like a Shakespeare collection on his shelf, and I inherited that. And I, That's cool. I guess when we were doing it, I would read all of those versions, and at the same mm-hmm. time we were reading Julius Caesar, Romeo and Juliet. I would go back and and read the other. So. I had a knowledge and appreciation for it at a young age, but never really understood the stories because they were just so out of my league language wise. I could barely speak, you know, Texas language, let alone this uh, version of Shakespeare's language. But I think the story of Shakespeare is fascinating and the person of Shakespeare is fascinating. I wish there had been a better movie about it or documentary mm-hmm. or something, but it's for one yeah. person to do all this stuff and for us in 2021 to be. You know, yeah. still still adapting it, it faithfully too. Just like taking his scre- his screenplay yeah. and just doing a movie of that, you know, and not saying, "Oh, we need to fully adapt this." And granted, there are liberties taken, but like, what is it about it, Richard? Uh, the fact that these these filmmakers, that's what they do when they they do Shakespeare is they just take a Shakespeare play and they just shoot it. They don't they don't mess with it. Is it frowned upon to do so? What what's the deal there? I don't think so. I mean, I think there's things you could, you know, there's, there's, there's all these different uh, ways. What's interesting about Shakespeare is he's simultaneously like obviously the greatest dramatist of all time, but also something really to be reckoned with 
literary wise as well. So you have the kind of, you know, the, treating the text really carefully as like, you know, as literature, as books. And then you have the fact that they're just, at the time at least, just plays that are, are meant to be performed. It's really meant to be performed. And so, and then you have the historical portion of, you know, the the greatest analog I can think of it is like Robert Johnson or something, like one of those early blues writers that like invented the structure for every Beatles song, right, then. And so Shakespeare has also the, the he, you know, with a few contemporaries, but really inventing, like I said, like whatever the 12 first plots were that we use for everything, like 11 of them are original to Shakespeare, or at least what we interpret to be Shakespeare. So um, there's a lot there. I mean, I think, I think to do the reason they do it faithfully is like, I mean, there's things like 10 things I had about you and a bunch of different films that are like, not the man. Yeah. 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 I mean, that are, that are, definitely Shakespearean um, inspired, but like done in a modern way. There's the version of doing that. But I think if you're going to do, you know, like the weighty thing, you know, there, the other, sorry, the other piece outside of just straight um, literature is the, the really like the math, almost the iambic contaminator math and the incredible beauty and impossibility of the language. So I think people try, especially actors, really want to keep it faithful because it's a really interesting challenge to them um, that apparently, you know, I'm not an actor uh, save for a, a Helen Keller play every few years, but um, that I think it really teaches them some kind of skill set that they use. I mean, there's a reason that like, you know, the English school of acting makes you do like only this for like your first 10 years, because it's, there's something that informs the rest of your your career. So I think it's it's kind of a vanity play, not only for directors, but also for actors to say, I can do this and this is going to make me a better actor for when I inevitably, you know, probably put on a cape and and become um, a superhero. That's all anyone <laughs> does. But um, but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of factors there. I think that's an interesting thing to explore, though, Kent. Like why? Like West Side Story is Romeo right. and Juliet. You sure. Know? I mean, that, to me, yeah. I think I think probably the most effective way to tell Shakespeare's stories is to adapt his themes, right? Yeah. For modern times. But it's just always interesting to me to see the approach of somebody just saying, nope, I'm doing it faithful. Totally. And I think it's just the history of it, the 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 language of it is mm-hmm. is is exciting. You know, I was watching Denzel in this film and he's doing these these monologues and you know he's just so jazzed. He's like, dude, I am, yeah. I am yeah. acting right He's now. Doing the you know, yeah. like, I, and I think there's, sure. there's something to yeah. that, that there's a challenge to it to make it watchable. There's a, all this type of stuff that you have to work around. Yeah, there's uh, this, the, the story of, of a of a male actor where you you start in your Romeo and then you become Hamlet and then you become Macbeth and then mm-hmm. you become King Lear and then you die. And that is like the the story of actors wait their whole lives to kind of hit these different tiers within it, um, within that. So yeah, there's there's uh, I, I think you know there, there there's definitely some vanity at play here, but there is something magical. You know, I I listened to this I forgot his name, but there's a professor years ago, and said like the most act. I think I talked about this on the episode we talked about like. The the experience of watching true Shakespeare, like if you want to watch, if you like were to plug our synapses of our brain and like watch them on a on the modern brain and watch on a computer, the thing that would most replicate watch what it was like to watch Shakespeare in in that time is Hamilton. 
right? Because it's like, it's a plot. It's a history plot, right? Just like, you know, King Henry and Richard III and all these things. It's historical plot. Speaking in the rhythm of the time. And it's speaking in the rhythm of the time, right? Uh For us, it's hip hop. For them, it's Ionic Examiner and things like that. Yes. And it's simultaneously exploring this history, this plot, and with this rhythm and this musicality that is familiar to us. Whereas, you know, Ionic Examiner is kind of foreign to us now. Um, But like really, I mean, that feeling you get when you're watching – Hamilton and, and I know Hamilton's like the most overblown thing in the world. I'm not trying to compare it to Shakespeare, but the experience of watching it, uh, I think is if, if you kind of get in that trance when you watch something like that is, is what it was like to watch this in its time. I think that's important to note. Is iambic pentameter been uh, still stolen for a band name for a metal band? <laughs> just do all these as metal songs. I would be, <laughs> I'd go see them for it's four sure. hours long. It's one song you know, <laughs> where iambic pentameter. <laughs> this is Henry the Fifth. <laughs> All right, um, I'm I'm excited to talk about this one because when this was announced, I was I I don't know, kind of curious to see like what would the Coens do. You know, you see you see a Cohen Shakespeare thing, like man, they could do anything. This could be set in the Old West. This could be <laughs> set in 1992 L.A. or in you know whatever setting they find exciting, really. Uh, but the one that they that Joel Cohen, I guess we could start there. Joel doing this solo. Um, he said, I did a little research on it, and he's been asked, of course, a hundred times about why he didn't make this with Ethan. And just said Ethan didn't want to do a Shakespeare movie. <laughs> and it just mm. kind of was didn't it didn't excite him. And, and it did excite Joel. And Joel's like, Well, if I do this, I'm gonna have to do it myself. And so he did. And uh, I guess Ethan is doing other stuff. Um, and he wants to do theater, right? Mostly, yeah. I think he's doing a play, and apparently, they have like multiple screenplays already done. Just you know, if they ever want to do one, they'll just take one off the shelf and do it, which must be a great feeling. I I want a full documentary about the Cohen selection process of what they direct and then what they sell Mm -hmm. and then what they just make to make. There's like a whole tier system of like, I feel like Fargo. And No Country and Lebowski are like, those should be referred to as like Coen Brothers films. And then there should be like another tier of like intolerable cruelty and stuff. That Lady Killers. Like, yeah, that should be like a Coen film. Like you should know, you should know uh, the difference between those two things. And then like one thing they don't even direct and they just like give the screenplay to somebody is like a, that's a, that's a C script or something. I don't know. We we need to figure out a like the terrorist uh, watch chart. We need to figure I mean, out. You do need to tear them. This. Yeah, we need yeah, to tear like, them. This is a Cohen Green. Like, ooh, yeah. a Cohen Green. Nice. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I'm in December. S tier. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, uh, Cohen, uh, Cohen Orange. I'll I'll on demand it. I'll wait for streaming. The thing about him working alone is he said he really missed working with Ethan because he had somebody always to just constantly agree with or bounce an idea off of. And oftentimes when you're talking with producers or an actor to have somebody else there to back you up is huge. So when it's two people saying this is how it should be versus one, it's a lot easier to get things done. So he said he missed the process of just working with his brother. And he said he would suggest anyone that wants to be a director or filmmaker to have like a partner to do it with that sees eye to eye with you. And you do see some of those relationships work out pretty well. So he took a a very literal approach to this, like I said, you know, he took the uh, essentially the, the direct uh, language of the original, uh, adapted it for the screen, 
And the way he shot this, I was blown away by. And it looked like freaking, you know, Julius Shulman, one of these famous architectural photographers or, or, you know, Ansel Adams, if he was shooting interiors or somebody like shot this movie. I mean, the, the approach to uh, the vision of how this was done, because, you know, we, we've seen, especially this year, I feel like we've seen so many just medieval, every medieval situation, castle, every type of mud in the face, night situation you can get. And so when you see something around that time period, you're like, okay, I kind of seen everything that there is to see cinematically. Like what more can you do? You know? And, and so to shoot it black and white, I thought was a, a great choice to shoot it on these, basically a sound stage with these reminiscent of an actual stage play, but also a film. And to have this surreal approach to it, I thought was very interesting and reminded me of like German expressionist uh, movies, paintings, like these crazy lines and and harsh angles and architecture and and it's all kind of black and white and and very contrasty. So I just loved that angle of it because like I said, the language of the film was just so over my head that I can't, I have to stop down or put the subtitles on, which I didn't have on for this uh, experience. And so, yeah, I was just fascinated by the overall look, the approach, the vision, and just like the fact that he said, you know what, I'm, I'm fascinated by that story and here is what mine is going to look like and it's going to blow your minds. <laughs> and it did for me, at least. I was just, I was blown away by this and, and it's one by one that I'm going to watch multiple times because it does, I feel like has so much to offer visually and of course, uh, the acting and the performances and things like that. So um, I was really impressed with this uh, first go around. Of course, it's, uh, I don't think, I will say to pass it off to you, Brian. I think we do. We might have an artist situation on our hands, where it's like you think so. Definitely the best Shakespeare adaptation of twenty twenty one. Was it the best yeah. film? Should it get the best picture award? Probably not. <laughs> but like, yeah. I think the level of difficulty is similar, and the the subject matter is similar. You know, so mm. it's it, it, you know you're doing something very not of the times, and it's like a hard sell for a lot of people to kind of get into something like this. And so I think it has that appeal. And uh, I think we might have a problem like that. I won't be as pissed off because I think it's not as blatant as the artist, but and it's good. It's, yeah, it's certainly and the year is way worse than I, that year. I don't, I think it certainly doesn't summarize 2021 for me. Um, sure. or if in any kind of way, it might be the best film I've seen this year in terms of cinematography. Like if this doesn't win best cinematography, like yeah, dude. I'm quitting the show. I mean, like what the, what's the effing point anymore? <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> right. seriously, uh, this was un- unbelievably well, well shot. And so that's the main takeaway for me passing it off to you, Brian. Yeah. Like I, I think the, the cinematography is insane. Um, the trailer should win best cinematography. Like, don't even <laughs> don't even need yeah, to include the, the rest no of the movie. Just, the, just submit no the trailer. Need to show up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's incredible. I, I maybe my favorite thing about this beyond uh, beyond Denzel in the lead, which I I was just in love with. I thought it was so mm. cool. Um, I love the way that uh, that Joel was able to. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to say him by his like call him by his first name because it feels like I I'm gonna. 
Every time I mention, I say Cohen's, I'm going to say Cohen's, you know, like it's, it's going to be, it just, it's like a involuntary reflex. But, um, I love the way that Joel Cohen used, um, the, the, the staging of this to make it feel both cinematic and like a play at the same time. That's one of my big things. I mean, I gripe about that frequently. If we, if we see a movie that, um, that started as a, as a, a play or a Broadway show or whatever. And I just, I, like West Side Story did this phenomenally well. Spielberg did such a great job of, of, uh, transitioning this from play to, uh, to, to, excuse me, to the screen. Cause you're, you're putting something on the screen. So it's got to fit that medium. It's fantastic in this, but the staging still is so cool and so well done. It does feel like you're, um, like you're you're seeing the play, but it's but it's in such a it, it's it, weirdly it's in such a modern way done in such a modern way, and I I love that. I thought it was a, a just a, a pretty really just a stroke of genius, and you know I think the Coens are geniuses, so it's maybe I'm I'm in the bag for it, but I I love that. Yeah, it's the it's the respect for the original and what's what Macbeth is kind of known for, but also having a new spin on it. And there are limitations to a stage play, you know, that you got, you've Mm -hmm. got the limitations of a stage. So I think cinematically you can kind of expound on, on the traditional approach, Richard general thoughts and, and Macbeth, you know, I know you're excited for this one. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think to echo all of your points, I knew this would, especially cinematography, you know, all the photography would be fabulous in this. You could just tell by the trailer and the Coens love a great, you know, they shoot, even if it's not them, they shoot things. Um, they're, they really have a, Roger Deakins you know, or somebody. Yeah, they yeah. really lean on some great people for that. And, and, <laughs> and I'm sure contribute to that as well. Um, I, I, you know, when, it, it, the other piece on that I want to touch too is yes, cinematography was impeccable and all that. The production design and everything was fantastic. Like you said all on a set, but just how sparse it was how kind of space it felt like you're on another planet um, mm-hmm. with it, yeah. with the, the desert scenes and the way the castles were set up and all of that was just sort of magnetic to look at. Um, and, and both simultaneously very theatrical and very uh, cinematic as well. Um, you know, when I, when, the, when this was first announced and you're like, okay, it's an adaptation with Cohen brother of a Shakespeare film. It's written by William Shakespeare and Joel Cohen directed by Joel Cohen. I thought it would be much more of a, um, like a, a writing exercise for Cohen. Like mm-hmm. how to really mix the language of the Coens and the language of Shakespeare. And then, yeah, obviously it'd be directed. Well, I, it was much more of a directorial exercise. I feel like, like, how do I, you know, stretch myself even further as a director, both in obviously with, with, you know, shot composition with this great cinematographer, but also in in working with these actors in such an actor forward medium like Shakespeare. So um, it ended up being a really interesting directorial exercise, which I I suppose I should have seen coming, but uh, you know, it was, it was much more like Shakespeare's text edited by Joel Cohen than co-written by Joel Cohen. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Which I guess is disappointing. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm with you. This is definitely the most well-made movie I saw this year. I think it's probably the best thing I saw this year. I think this year has sucked. So that's not saying a whole lot on, on the Oscar front. I just feel like everything has kind of been a little disappointing. 
So yeah. I, I'm fine if it wins because it's not like where there's a lot like when the artist won and then we look back 10 years and there's a lot better things. I don't know if there will be a whole lot better this year. So if it wins, it may not. But it, it certainly I don't think is a best picture winner in a lot of years um, because it's so it's like a experimental piece of something. But it's brilliant in moments yeah. and and captivating all the time. And and, you know, also you have the. Frances McDormand, I know, did this on on stage for a while in like 2016. So she really knows this part. And then you just, you know, the camera on Denzel, especially a camera that knows what it's doing is, I mean, he could be reading Dr. Seuss. It would it would be at least the Best Picture nominee. So the fact that it's Shakespeare definitely aids with that. But, but uh, yeah, really interesting. It, yeah, it felt almost like an exercise by Cohen instead of like a, a film. Like it felt experimental in a cool way but also just a little cast offy to me i don't know i want to talk about it more because it does yeah it does doesn't feel much like as part of their filmography in that way yeah you know it doesn't fit the cohen verse necessarily you know people say that these these movies are are in one universe or they write all their characters in kind of one universe It, it just certainly not not that universe uh, and what I like about it too is in putting it on Apple TV. Uh, yeah, I, I looked into a little bit of that, and he said basically, "I'm all in on on streaming." You know, he's like most people would think that we well, would hate it, but yeah, he's like, I have a career because of VHS and home video, right? <laughs> because of Lebowski and all that, that kind of man. stuff. Yeah, and so yeah. their approach is like, I've been working for 40 years because of this kind of approach. And so I'm going to still take this approach and give the people the movie. And that's, that's just awesome. Just somebody you would think would be such a cinephile, you know, obviously that's the Minnesota auteur. Man, dude. Yeah. You know, and he's just like, yeah, man, put it on. Yeah. How much are they going to pay me to put it on? Wow. Okay, great. You know? So I think the fact that, that like, there's this thing with independent cinema too. When you started on the, like at the, in the early, 80s you know trying sure. to trying to grind it out in independent cinema i think there's just a, something about it. it's like just to have your movie released at all feels great and yeah. so it's like yeah it's you're gonna point. pay me how much to put this out hell yeah i'll do it so i mean the fact that they're still doing it i think speaks volumes but i i love that they're like yeah we'll put it they did buster scruggs on netflix they did this on apple tv so it looks like we'll be able to watch coen brother movies for years to come when they come out. Um, so that, that's yeah. something to be excited it sucks, about. Because they were going to do a Fargo prequel on Quibi. Which oh, is such man. a shame. <laughs> yeah. Now we'll never get it. Never. <laughs> we'll never know. It's broken long. up into 15 minute chunks. Yeah. <laughs> well, the um, thing about this one is I'm with you, Richard. It's way more experimental. I think that was a, a great, a great word to use. And the performances certainly stuck out. I think this might be the best male performance I've seen this year. I mean, it was. Mm. When is Denzel not the best whenever he does a movie? I mean, it's a very Tom Hanks kind of situation where it's just like if he's doing something, it's going to get nominated for best actor. And I think it's more deserving this year than in, than in a lot of years. The, the, yeah. the material is yeah. so tough. I mean, it, it's really tough. And the conviction in which you speak it, is yeah. really tough and this was great i mean it's not something you would normally expect to see him in either mm-hmm. i mean it requires you when you're when you're speaking this dialect 
for a 2021 2022 audience it you know it really does require you to act with your eyes and your your you know mannerisms and stuff like that you're so great really beard. Puts, yeah the beard's awesome I mean, it really gives him a chance to i mean not that anyone needs to be reminded of how awesome uh denzel washington is but um it's i i would imagine when he gets the call for this you're just like of course like yeah this that sounds great like i can't and it kind of lets you get it gives him a chance to kind of um this is obviously not going to be the capper on his career cuz he's got plenty to go but it's been interesting to see sort of on the press tour for this he's talked about doing a Wes Anderson movie he's talked about working with PTA he's talked about uh how um Michael B Jordan's trying to get him into the MCU like all these sorts of things and you kind of wonder if like doing this kind of this performance gives him a, the something internally to be like, all right, I can do whatever I want yeah. now. Like I'm not, I'm, I'm not, not that I don't think, again, I don't think he's been chasing anything for a, for a long time, but, but uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what this, this feels like a performance that it's going to um, really open things up for the, the next phase of his career. And I'm curious at what that's going to look like. Too. Yeah. It's almost like I'm as great as this performance is. And I'm with you. Can't like, it's probably the best male performance I saw this year. Um, I wonder, I'm almost as excited to just be like, okay, what does that do for, for his career um, for this next phase for moving forward? Yeah. I liked his, him directing movies. I think he's still going to do that. And, and that's a good teaser for the, yeah, uh, State of the Union because we're gonna mm-hmm. we have a Denzel heavy year. We'll just say that if you're a Denzel fan, you right. tune we into the VIP. Every episode of Saint Elsewhere. <laughs> I wish, man. I'm I don't sorry, think you can find it. it. I, I don't think you could find it anywhere. <laughs> have you heard about that? I can't, I can't find it, man. I can't find Dag anywhere either. It's a, it's a travesty. We need we need an official streaming release of Dag, <laughs> promoted heavily by NBC. Delta as much Burke's, as they promoted uh, proprietary streamer has it. If you follow <laughs> uh, Dirk Burke plus, you can watch Dag on there. Burke Burke plus. Burke plus. We need to get Dag on the show. I feel like he would. That's the next. We got Forte hosted SNL this week, by the way. Yeah, yeah. congratulations. First, but, you know that's what happens. You do our show, and then SNL takes a look at you to host. You know, you got to work your way up. Well, uh, this was a, a great movie. I thought, man, I. It, I don't know where it's going to fall in my top 10. We'll have to see here in a week or two, but the aspect was, ratio um, worked for you, Kent. It did. Yeah, it okay. did. Because I think, you know, it's all part of, yeah, of, of the thing when you're doing something like this, I think it, it was works. Beautiful. It was just, there was so, I, and I, I found it frustrating just because the, the scenery and the set as I was so, I wanted to see much more. I kept wanting my TV to expand to wide so I could like see more of it, but I obviously, it was, was much more of a vertical, great film than it was like a horizontally shot movie you yeah. know, with, with like all the towers and all of the people. Yeah. Uh, it's, it was a very uh, vertically inclined kind of lean that way. Yeah. Vertically inclined. Yeah. They were very vertically inclined when they were storyboarding this thing out. That's a great way mm-hmm. to put it. Yes, exactly. Richard. Uh, so I'll give this movie hard for not to do an A plus how beautiful this thing was i mean it's like it sets a new standard i feel like for black and white cinematography i mean it's unbelievably gorgeous uh man i'll give it an a 
you know, I might, I might bump it up to an A plus in a year or two, but first viewing solid A. What about you, Brian? I'm going to go A+. Plus. Um, it's been a nice. disappointing year for Oscar-y kind of movies, yeah. as you mentioned, Richard. Um, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to pick stuff with you know incredible recency bias, but this is probably number one or number two on the year for me as far as the, the kind of Oscar. It's a really good year for blockbuster kind of movies, I think. So that has to factor into like my top 10 and stuff. But when I'm... When I'm sitting down to do the Oscar ballot, it's this is going to be really hard to overlook. And I'm I'm of the I mean, you know, to each their own school of thought and all that sort of stuff. But like I don't really care about the does this movie um, summarize the year of 2021 mm-hmm. kind of thing. I know some people that's that's a big thing. That's uh-huh. not really a factor necessarily for me. It's did you make a good movie? Is it you know? Yeah. I, I the, to me the difference between this and like the artist is beyond the just the quality is I don't feel like it's a gimmick. I feel like everything done here fits the, the property and fits what they're going for and stuff. And so I'm, I'm all with it. I it's, didn't, I, I, you know, we watched the artist a week, a month or so ago and I was reminded of just how much I feel like it's, it's such a bit and this doesn't feel like a yeah. bit to me. So and a it, plus for me, it, it may not be to our point earlier. This may not fit cleanly in the Cohen brother yeah. canon. It does fit in the Denzel kit. Like, I feel like this will be on the highlight reel forever. That's a really good way to put it. Makes it worth it. Right. You know, it's Mm -hmm. a Denzel forward thing. It's like, uh, so that's definitely in favor. I'm going to go with Ken. I'm going to go just solid a very solid. All right. Let's hit a quick weekly recommend here before we get out. Weekly recommends. I'm going to recommend a uh, documentary that PBS put out. Uh, I don't think it's Ken Burns, but it's Ken Burns-esque. It's called Big Ben, The Wild Frontier of Texas, and it's uh, got explosions in the sky doing the uh, score for it. Yeah. So right. it's just great scenic nature footage of of South Texas, which is a beautiful part of the country. It, Texas is not known for its scenery, of course, but <laughs> there are, is some beautiful nature. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's that and with explosions in the sky who are from Texas. So I'm sure they were inclined to do that. But yeah, I've been, been listening to this, to the soundtrack a bunch, uh, while I've been working and then, uh, been, you know, obviously checking out the, uh, PBS series. I think you can watch it on demand now. It's called Big Bend Wild Frontier of Texas on PBS. Check it out. It's about, I think it's, uh, an hour long, something like that. All right, Brian, what you got? I'm going to recommend an album uh, that came out last year, and I, I don't think any of us ever actually recommended it, uh, but it's maybe we did, and I'm, it is what it is. But anyway, I uh, I read, I'm like, I do this thing with Texas Monthly. I don't know if you guys ever, I, I'm the only person maybe that, that still reads magazines every once in a while. But I, I do. I used to. That's right, you do. Um, That's right, man. Yeah, I have Texas Monthly thanks to you, thanks to your, oh, yeah. your buddy no, subscription. And I read it all the time. I have uh, Vogue time. and Vanity Fair at the house. There I do go. read Vanity Fair uh, sometimes. But yeah, nice. I used to do pre-COVID, which I got to stop saying. It's, at some point, we got to stop saying that because it's like that's been two years, so we're <laughs> gonna have to reestablish some some habits and stuff. Pre-COVID, I would read Texas Monthly uh, like cover to cover, um, and and then I got way behind during COVID and. So some of them I've skipped, but but you were I'm just too busy to, going to those underground rave parties and stuff. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah, no, it just got too busy looking at freaking TikTok. You know, I mean, seriously, <laughs> it's like yeah. that that has taken over so much of my 
my magazine space or whatever. And, and poop. Let's and, be real. Poop space. Poop time. Yeah. And I'm fully addicted to it. And you know, it is what it is. Anyway, um, Texas Monthly's cover issue or cover story, excuse me, in like July or August, can't remember, was was Leon Bridges and and uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Gold Digger Sound. And so I threw. The, so I'm several months behind, is what I'm saying. I'm 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 Shane. I'm Batman shaning uh, Texas Monthly. <laughs> Um, but I, uh, I, I've been throwing a, a cop, whatever issue I'm reading, I, I toss into the, uh, the car and, and I read it in like the 15 minutes while I'm waiting for Cooper to get out of school and that kind of stuff. Um, which side recommend Texas monthly rules. I don't think you have to be from Texas to care about it. It's not, uh, it's great journalism. They have three or four stories every, every yeah. single month. That's, that's fantastic. Um, anyway, cover story, Leon Bridges read it i then was like i haven't listened to much of uh gold digger sound since like the month that it came out so i popped that in and i've been listening to it pretty constantly so i don't know if you knew any of us ever recommended it or not when it came out in july or august or i had it as one of my on our yearly recommends but I don't think that's we right it there that. it is yeah so i was just a just another strong recommend on that that's one of my i don't know 10 favorite albums of the year easily leon bridges is fantastic um and gold digger sound was I think a, a pretty significant musical step up from previous, the previous album. And, uh, he's, he's amazing. So Leon Bridges, gold digger sound. I know you boys both like that as well. So that's my recommend. Yeah. Uh, for me, I'm going to do a movie, um, of, uh, a documentary from last year. I think Kenzie, I don't know if Brian has yet the, uh, if you guys watched the lost Leonardo. Can't yeah. I recommended it a couple weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. You recommended it, right? Yeah. No, I finally got around to that and it's, it's fantastic. And a, and a really cool story on like, like each kind of quadrant of it is uh, an interesting world to explore, right? You have the mm-hmm. the re- the discovery of it, these kind of art um, bounty hunters, basically. Then Pickers, you have the restoration, yeah. yeah. Then you have the restoration portion, and then you have the dealer portion. Then you have the Russian oligarch slash French con man portion, and then you have like the Christie's auction house portion. Blah blah blah. Uh-huh. All of which would be like the, a great documentary on their own. Um, and they combined to make a really, really cool doc. So, yeah, loved it. Good recommend, Ken. Yeah. For awesome. That. So, uh, I guess without spoilers, where do you kind of, where do you kind of come down on the whole situation? Man, I'm a, I'm a skeptic by heart. Unfortunately, I don't, I'm not a pessimist, but I am a skeptic. Yeah. So, I, I don't think it is. I don't you think know, it's you know, yeah, personally. There, but that's just that's really no evidence. That's just my kind of my natural. I never think things are real. There's con- there's you know it's still watch documentary is worth watching. It's not a spoiler, oh yeah, really no, no, it's awesome. I think there you know there's conflicting evidence on both sides. Sure, absolutely. Here's why it could be Leonardo. Here's why it might not be Leonardo. So I think the choice is you know no one will ever know because yeah. obviously we can't go back in time and see him painting the thing. But I think the 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 t- the topic is fascinating, and it's just one of those things with with all collectibles. I think it's the story does up the value. It's yes. like what does it represent, and and will people come see it because of the story and all that kind of stuff? So, Absolutely. I think what they what they and did the talking say in the, heads in it are all great. Like Jerry Salt is, you know, yeah. he's the that art critic, and a few of the other people in there are just like it's a really well done doc in terms of. Okay, we're going to show you some rather dry footage of a woman restoring this Leonardo, but now we're going to give you these really like cutting people that are. There's just people are either like yeah. it's it's a fake, there's no chance, or they're like it's 100 percent real, and there's <laughs> yeah. like no in between of yeah. Oh, I don't know. There's like it's either you're convinced or you're not convinced. So so that part of it was was fascinating, and and uh, and you're right, man. I I don't know. I, I just don't know. But I think. 
you can go down so many rabbit holes with that story. And, and totally. I think they can do another follow-up in a couple of years and see where it at, where it's at. And I had no idea it was in Dallas apparently for a I long know, time. For, for I never saw months. it. it yeah, was the DMA in like 2014. And they said oh. the Dallas museum didn't pay enough. Money. Yeah. They, they, were, get, they were, raise the they were offering them to keep it there. Yeah. But it doesn't surprise me that Dallas didn't give a crap about art. If you could have put it in Fort Worth, it probably would have done a lot better. Way better art scene. Yeah, Fort Worth, for but. sure. All right, uh, that's it. We're going to get on to our State of the Union talk, so enjoy that. And then um, get on the VIP feed as well, because we've got a lot of episodes coming your way on the bonus side of things. So stay tuned for that, and we love you. Hope you liked Macbeth. And we'll see you soon at the cinema. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling tossed salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're calling again.